you are here today to learn about how you can become an incredible innovator. Now, truly great innovation often arises from the merging of different fields of expertise, all coming together to come up with novel and interesting solutions. Now, today I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with Rina Halabi, who has managed to merge several really powerful disciplines together. Her career lies at the intersection of space science, entrepreneurship and education. And she's done a lot of really interesting things. So fun facts about Rina. She was the first person to get a PhD in astrophysics from a Lebanese university. And to make sure that she isn't the last, she founded the She Speaks Science, which is a multilingual enterprise promoting STEM and women in STEM with storytelling, which was also funded by Cambridge University and the International Astronomical Union, which is really incredible. Also on the entrepreneurial side with design thinking, she developed and led an entrepreneurship program for the Cambridge Judge Business School. And independently, she consults for businesses to bring space science into high-end technology and she also coaches on innovation storytelling. Now, Rina has also given keynotes on astrophysics, leadership, entrepreneurship, and women in STEM at international conferences and global forums, including TEDx and the United Nations. And she's also been profiled as a subject matter expert in the media, including BBC Future, journals, news newspapers, and podcasts. So by the end of this interview, you will get an insight into how you can combine disciplines to become a better innovator yourself. You will have the confidence that you can indeed become a better innovator, entrepreneur, and storyteller, and you will feel that you too can forge your own unique career path. So with that said, thank you so much for coming on today, Hina. I'm really excited to have this chat with you. Thank you, Yasmina. Thank you for the introduction, and it's wonderful to be here with you today. Amazing. So my first question for you is, as an astrophysicist, what then led you from astrophysics to entrepreneurship? How did that lead you into your entrepreneurial journey? I came to Cambridge as, as a postdoc. So I started my career in the UK as a postdoc in astrophysics at the Institute of Astronomy. Uh, here at the University of Cambridge. And I must say, Asmina, my, my specialty in astrophysics was uh, or is studying stars, how stars evolve, how they live their lives, the kind of chemical elements they, um, they produce and how they enrich their galaxies. Um, doing that research, I felt that I would like to have more impact tangible impact here on the planet. This work is, is literally so out of this world that um, I wanted something that reaches people uh, more short term. Obviously, you know, you know that astronomy and space exploration has revolutionized the way we live and so many aspects, practical aspects in our daily lives. But uh, I wanted to have that impact. And the way it started was, uh, you know, giving more talks about my research to the general public and being um, a communicator of science and a promoter of science. And I could see that spark in the eyes of the people when they hear about astronomy and space and the cosmos. And I felt, hang on, there's something there. So how can we really keep them hooked and engaged in this, in this field? So this evolved into a form of storytelling 
um, that I, you know, it started as as talks and then uh, written words on on uh, sort of a blog. Uh, this is how she speaks science started as a blog, personal blog, but then it evolved to have storytellers from all over the world talking about all sorts of STEM subjects, and. She Speaks Science is a form of um, social entrepreneurship because what we want to do on She Speaks Science is um, build this positive identity, uh, positive STEM identity among the young people and promote STEM for the younger generation, as well as celebrate women doing STEM subjects and promote gender equality in the sciences. so uh, yeah, this is how I came from uh, really the hard sciences, entrepreneurship, uh, astrophysics research into starting She Speaks Science, which has taken a life of its own and has started to evolve uh, as well. That's really, really fascinating. I- I'd love to dive into that later as well. I think I think it's really powerful that more scientists are going into business and entrepreneurship and innovation now, because one thing that I've really noticed being at, at two business schools now, and I'm definitely not a scientist, I said I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid, but that that dream was shattered when I realized that I'm blind and so I'm not allowed to. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, uh, one big gap that I found is that the business people, they're like, we're on business, business, business. And then the scientists are all about science, science, science. But then mm-hmm. there's so much potential for innovation and actually to bring about real change when we have business people and scientists working together. And when you can actually be a scientist who also understands business and is an entrepreneur and an innovator, that's a really incredible thing. So I would love to know why is it a great time now to mm-hmm. innovate and be a science entrepreneur? Yeah, spot on question, yes, Mina, because on first, um, you know, first impression, you'd think these are completely separate subjects. You can either be a business person or a scientist. But actually, the way my career has evolved is it now sits in that sweet spot, as you mentioned, science, uh, business or entrepreneurship and education. Given my scientific background and then, you know, I've been an educator for most of my academic career uh, and professional career, um, and now, the, at the moment, I'm leading entrepreneurship development programs at the Cambridge Judge Business School Entrepreneurship Center. And I think of this trio, you know, science, education, and entrepreneurship as the 3D lattice work on which we can really start building uh, to push for progress and to achieve progress having this scientific understanding and scientific knowledge powered by an entrepreneurial mindset for problem solving and uh, sort of armed with a solid and strong education. And this is what we uh, try to offer in in, um, the program that I currently uh, manage called Enterprise Tech to start really tackling the challenges humanity will be facing in the next decades. And You're asking why it is now a great time to innovate. Enabling scientists with this entrepreneurial set of skills is really essential, I see, for three reasons. One is the science itself. You probably noticed this, Mina, more and more that although you're not a scientist, science is becoming more um, entwined with this desire 
to solve real world problems. You can see, if you see read the news, you can notice that science is being pulled into the economy rather than being pushed into it. And you see this through the way we dealt with the pandemic and the response and the communicating to the people and, you know, in many different aspects in our lives. The second reason is economy. The government right now has strategic goals that it can only meet and achieve through the development and um, promotion of new technologies which the scientists could be building right now. And if you think, for example, in the space sector specifically, um, Morgan Stanley, an investment bank, they estimate that the revenue that will be generated um, globally by the space industry may exceed a trillion dollars by 2040, which is really around the corner. The third and final reason I see which makes this time a really great time to be an entrepreneur and to be an innovator is perhaps the job market. There's a, a, a disappointing gap, a huge gap between the aspirations of early career researchers and scientists and the realities of the job market. According to, I was reading um, a few weeks ago, a report by the Royal Society which so this is data from the uk and you'd be shocked to hear that 96 percent of science phd students actually leave universities and science science uh, 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 careers 96 percent they leave and this mass departure of phd students um and and you know physicists and chemists from academia Tell, tells us that we really need alternative career paths that can retain this talent, the scientific talent. And founding a company is a, is a great, great option, a great alternative. And so this is why I'm so excited to be leading um, entrepreneurship development programs um, like Enterprise Tech, for example, because it starts to fulfill that need. Yeah, that's that's really Power. Those are some really powerful statistics. I didn't realize that that many scientists would would leave their careers as scientists. And it's pretty incredible. And I think because scientists have so much knowledge about the real world, they spend their their life and their career really understanding this is how the world works. These are how these parts of the world works. These are the facts. This is reality, right? But I think. I think perhaps many scientists feel like oh, now I need to stay in the research and I need to do this and that. But when you actually add that entrepreneurial dimension, you add that business dimension, it's okay. Now I'm not just sitting in a lab, but you actually feel like you have control over results and you actually feel like you can make the change to solve real world problems, as you were saying, and you can bring that expertise that the non-scientists are lacking to yeah, innovating and finding the needs for that gap. So I think it's really great that you're leading this enterprise tech program. And I know a really good friend of mine has taken it and really enjoyed it and gained loads of benefit out of that. Um, what is what is that really trying to do? You mentioned, Yasmina, you said it's, it's great to have this set of entrepreneurial skills to add a new dimension for what a scientist does. And this is great. And this is exactly what we need to do. But there's a problem here. There's a difference between wanting to become an entrepreneur and actually being 
a great entrepreneur or a successful entrepreneur. Why? Because there is a gap in the knowledge. Being a successful scientist does not guarantee being a successful and great business person, right? Scientists often lack resources. They, um, they lack, um, the business acumen. Sometimes they just don't have the network or the commercial and operational expertise. And so for them to become inventors and to commercialize their research, they, they really struggle. And so transitioning from a research idea or a cool lab creation to a product or a company is a challenge. So the question then becomes, how can we put this technology at, you know, at the, the cutting edge technology in people's hands when and where they need it the most to improve their lives and to bring these great creations to market and to support our economy post pandemic, right? Because also the, con the country requires innovation. This is how um, we, we, we build countries and we build economies. And so this is exactly the problem. There is no simple production line that can take um, new scientific discoveries and produce technological change. This, this, this really, a simple answer does not exist. And so this is the problem we're trying to solve. And our solution for this is a program like Enterprise Tech, which is, um, an extracurricular three month program offered by the Entrepreneurship Center of Cambridge Church Business School. It was started by, um, and built by Dr. Rebecca Myers, who is a chemist, actually. She's a scientist. Um, and the head of education at the Entrepreneurship Center. And the way it works, we work on two fronts. One is with the scientists who have these, this innovation, these uh, very early stage ideas. Um, and they want to commercialize or look into commercializing this cutting edge innovation. And these people are from, you know, the Cambridge ecosystem, from Cambridge University, from labs, from departments, but also from startups, sometimes from R&D departments, from uh, companies. And so we really source these ideas from um, a wide uh, pool of applications and people who would be interested. And the projects that we accept on the program can be anything from you know, um, sustainable futures, cancer treatments, medical devices, um, internet of things, healthcare, you know, all sorts of sectors. And on the other side, we accept students to the program. And these students could be PhD students, master's students, or researchers, you know, could be postdocs. The majority are STEM backgrounds, but not everyone is. So every, anyone is welcome to join the program. And then what we do is assemble a team of four to five students to work on these early stage ideas that are submitted by the inventors. So we usually have maybe 12 to 15 projects. And for three months, they work on this project under the guidance of a business supervisor who sort of holds the hand the hands of the team so that to give them that business knowledge. And then imagine the situation. What happens is that the, in, in, uh, the uh, in inventors on the program, the, the teams, the student teams, you know, after going through lectures, workshops, supervisions, business supervisions, etc., they produce a commercial feasibility report is one of the pro products of the program and what they get assessed on. 
And this, so they get this really foundational knowledge in entrepreneurship and on, on uh, real world problems. And on the other hand, the inventors get this insight on the commercial potential of their idea through this commercial feasibility report. And they get insight on, um, you know, like the market size, customer segments, um, uh, competitor landscape, all of these things. So it's a win-win situation. Everybody, um, everybody wins. And, you know, the, we had uh, students on the program from Cambridge University, obviously, but also um, uh, other UK universities from um, University College London, from York, from Bristol, from King's College uh, London. Um, and it would be great to have uh, students from Imperial as well. So this is an invitation for them to join the program and, um, you know, students who join the program eventually go on to start their own um, companies or join Entrepreneur First. And, you know, there are other potential possibilities for them within Cambridge and elsewhere. Yeah, that's that's really powerful, right? Because you're taking a, a lot of really smart scientists and you're putting them together and you're even creating an innovation hub here. Hey, come up with your own idea and use your different knowledge and skill bases and fields of expertise to innovate something new. And you're giving these people an idea of, okay, well, as opposed to like, this is some really cool science thing. Look, this is, this is crazy cool. Okay, but what does the market want? How can you actually achieve product market fit and what is actually going to be successful in in the real world so um yeah I, I think that's really really powerful and i would love to know more about about you and how you you tie everything together in your career right because you talk about how you work at the intersection of space entrepreneurship innovation and storytelling mm -hmm. how how do you bring all of those fields together in your career <laughs> yeah it's actually a very exciting place uh, to be in, to be able to to bring very very exciting, uh, you know, sectors, aspects, and 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 try to 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 create something that joins my passion for space science and innovation and storytelling as well. I can give you a couple of examples of projects I've been involved in, which really kind of marry all of these uh, things together and sit in that very, very sweet spot. One project is, is a very cool uh, AR and VR project. Uh, so this is about creating educational experiences on, on space and astronomy um, by using immersive storytelling and uh, augmented reality uh, technology to start to think about new ways of, of reaching people, right? And engaging audiences, especially young people, and to start to, um, you know, inspire them about, about and engage them in science and in space. So she speaks science, she speaks science. We partnered with a company that creates AI experiences and we're working on projects to narrate space science and the role of women in such exploration in very uh, immersive, uh, high tech, futuristic setting, uh, which is still under development and it's very, very exciting to be, to be involved in that project. 
Another project I was involved in recently, I've been involved in recently, is in the audio industry, um, a company that makes high-end uh, hi-fi systems. And the company, they're very innovative in reaching uh, new customer segments, particularly a younger demographic. And so what we did on a project with them is to, to bring, um, to look at the intersection of space and space science and music. And a couple of um, months ago, probably over a year ago now, I I, um, I wrote on She Speaks Science an article called uh, Music of the Spheres, which talks about how stars make music, right? But we, ca we can't hear that music. I say music, you know, I, I'm talking about sounds. Um, but we can't hear that sound because of the, you know, the vacuum that separates us. But we, we try to use that concept and that idea to reach younger markets through storytelling. So that was also another exciting project that you can see how we're using storytelling as a tool to innovate in space, within space and the corporate world or business, right? And there are very exciting ways of doing that. And so, yeah, these are really, really cool projects um, to answer that question. Mm, definitely. I, I'd love to know as well. I, I love how diverse the things you're working on, right? And you talk a lot about storytelling. And I, I know you're an educator as well. And we all know that stories are the currency of humanity people learn best through stories this is how this is how knowledge was passed on for thousands and thousands of years before we even had the ability to write things down um so i definitely believe in the power of that and i'm really curious to get your opinion on what really makes a great story how can you be a good storyteller <laughs> um i don't think i have the answer yasmina you you know you're a great storyteller when you see people are interested when, you know, I, I, I give workshops to entrepreneurs and academics on, on storytelling. And what, what I work with them on is there are various different levels of engagement when you are talking or when you're presenting or when you are in front of an audience. People could just be listening. Or they could, you know, if they're not engaged at all, they wouldn't be listening in the first place. They, uh, you know, one level up, they would be starting to listen, right? And then higher level up would be when they start to engage. You know, they're probably asking questions, they're challenging you, etc. But that's not where it should, should stay. There is a more ultimate form of engagement, which is when you achieve resonance. You know, when you're listening to someone and you start thinking, yes, I know exactly what you're saying. I've been there. I felt that. This is when you kind of feel that you're 100% engaged with that speaker. And to achieve this, you really need to strip down the topic you're talking about to the most fundamental level that joins people, which is the emotions, which is what makes us human, whether that emotion is a struggle or ambition or what the values are or what we're trying to achieve, you know, very, very fundamental level. And this is, this is what makes a good storyteller. When you really manage 
to reach people through these very fundamental things that are universal, these fundamental feelings and emotions. And of course, there are tools and techniques to be able to do that. But ultimately, it's about, it's a muscle that you need to, you know, work out every day. It's, it's like being a good athlete, right? You can't just do a hundred push-ups once and say, all right, perfect. That's it. I'm done. You know, it's just a muscle you have to work out every single day. I like writing skills, like anything else. So, and as you said, storytelling is so, so important. And, you know, in my work, I use it within business and innovation to, to innovate, to market the products, to access new customer segments. And in within academia, for example, storytelling is great to communicate your research as a, as a, as a tool for communication. And it's also in my work, I use it through She Speaks Science, you mentioned, as a tool for engagement, for empowerment. Um, so it, it's, it's just everywhere. It's just everywhere. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. And I think especially what you mentioned about the emotions, that is really what gets to the heart of any story. And I've seen a lot of people talk about whether it's their research or their academic research or their business idea. And that they're, they're, they're just, they're not reaching the heart. They're just reaching their head. They're like, here are my facts and here are my statistics and here is my data. And here is my logic as to why you should invest in my business. Or here is my logic as into why you should buy my product. Or here is my logic as into my, my, my factual evidence as to why you should care about this academic topic. But they, they miss that heart connection. And I think when you're able to form that heart connection and really resonate with the emotions right as opposed to just the head and you can hit the heart and then the head and then the heart and then it's like okay now i'm invested now i understand why this really matters now i really connect to the story um yeah that's a really powerful thing so really really great insight Hina. and i know that you've mentioned she speaks science a few times so i would love to i would love to tap into that would you like to tell us more about that initiative and and how you do it and how you actually use that to to engage and empower yeah so with with she speaks science um so you know like i mentioned earlier we use it as a tool to engage and um to empower and she speaks science is really about um empowering the the our tagline is own your story what does that mean it means that if you are a young person and you love science you really need to own that feeling because who is to tell you that you don't fit the stereotype you don't look like a scientist whoever you are yeah anyone who wants to be a scientist or wants to be a stem professional they can of course provided that they put in the hard work the dedication and, and all the rest of it. And on the other hand, own your story for the women doing incredible research um, in STEM that are, you know, the research that is really bringing solutions to solve the problems that we're facing or to start to understand better how systems work about nature, about biology, about, you know, space exploration, all sorts of topics. There are women doing incredible research and we're, we 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 celebrate them every day and we highlight their work and um 
the impact they have in the society. But why do we care, really? I mean, it's, it's you know, that STEM powers societies and it is at the heart of innovation and, you know, the, the problems that we, that we need to solve. Um, science is able to do that. But if you think about the representation in take the space, the, 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 the STEM or the space workforce, for example, women remain a minority, about 20%. You know, when you look at women representation in science or STEM or space, we're stuck at that 20 something percent level. It's really, really strange. Women represent about a third of NASA's workforce, for example. So still we remain a minority. If you think about astronauts, of the 566 astronauts, how many would you imagine would be women? Can you think of a number? Well, I'm just going to imagine that it's ridiculously low. Um, I was going to say something as low as two. I mean, I really hope it's not as low as it's, two. It's, but it's better. It's slightly better than this. 10? It's 11%, between 11 and 12%. So it's about 65 okay, women cool. uh, astronauts. But, you know, wow. you're closer when it comes to spacewalkers. So 7%, right? So more than 200 people have made spacewalks. About 15 of them are women. Um, so STEM-based careers in the UK, also 22%. So, you know, we stuck at that uh, level. Even within entrepreneurship in space, um, of course, we have women founders in the space sector and the space market. 12, about 12% are women. So we really need to push the needle. Yeah, We need to push the needle. And for that, we need solutions. And so this is what She Speaks Science does is um, basically can be summarized in four things. There used to be three, but they're growing. Our portfolio is growing. Number one, product number one is a publication called Shahrazad. I don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, um, uh, tales of a thousand and one nights, the Arabian nights. Shahrazad is a mm. storyteller who engages the audience, the king with their stories. And so we're using Shahrazad as a vehicle to deliver stories about STEM by women all over the, the world, from Chile to Europe to Iran to Lebanon and Jordan, all over the globe. And we offer, because we've grown so much, so now She Speaks Science is more than 130 countries. We reach more than 11,000 readers all over the globe. So we started translating them and we have a team of phenomenal volunteers or translators translating them to Arabic. Uh, Italian, Spanish, and German, and the main story goes out in English. So they're available in five languages. So that's one product. The second product in our portfolio is a new mentorship program called Penta. So five. Penta is about having women. So in, on Penta, we have women from five different regions in the globe, um, Africa, uh, Latin America, uh, America and Europe, uh, Asia and the Middle East to ensure representation. And these women are at five different career stages. So we have the um, executive level STEM women. We have the professionals and PhD students. We have the uh, university graduates. We have the school students and the high school students. Um, so five different career levels. And it runs for five months. And the program is about mentoring and getting mentored. So 
let's say you are Yasmina on the program, you'll be mentored by, let's say, an executive. So you're a professional, right? And you'll be mentored by an executive. So one higher up on the career ladder, and you will be mentoring a student, right? And the idea behind that is that whoever you are, someone is looking up to you. You are a role model to someone. Even if you are um, a, a school student, that young girl across the street, she's looking up to you for inspiration. So this really starts to nurture a sense of responsibility towards our communities to help to grow our network, to not, you know, um, hold out, reach out, to reach out and, and see who might help us, but also to understand the right questions we need to ask, to take on a mentor and benefit from their experience. And we're really, really lucky to have huge representation on the program. We are, you know, the Penta, it has a, a, a small community of women. We only accept, we only have 33 women on the program, but they come from 23 different countries, from Malaysia to Mexico. So really global program. And we launched in February, on February 11th, which was an International Day of Women and Girls in Science. And the program will conclude in, in July. So this is the second one. The third one is workshops on storytelling, which we used you know, to do before the pandemic, but that stopped. So delivering workshops on science and space exploration at schools. Um, and then finally, we um, partnered with a Cambridge um, charity, educational charity called Cambridge Science Centre to make magazines like, you know, print, printed magazines, because not everyone has digital access, although we, we, we think it is the case, it actually isn't, even in, you know, rich countries like the UK, some people struggle to have, especially young children, they don't have their own laptops or tablets, etc. So we partnered with them and they, during the pandemic, they started this magazine called Open Up Science, which they distributed freely through food banks and charities, etc. within the within Cambridgeshire area. So we partnered with them and we took over two of their editions and um issues and we one we packed with stories about space and going to mars and with you know stories and puzzles and quizzes etc and the other edition we uh, issue we uh, it was about um, marine life and conservation and through this we could you know reach the young people um more than 2000 households you know, a child could just grab the story and snuggle with it in bed with a crayon and, 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 you know, do stuff on it and maybe understand a thing or two about the world around them. And we try to diversify as much as possible and to keep in mind that if we are really to improve access, we need to to, to keep an open mind, to have different channels through which we could reach people and hopefully Hopefully, we have the impact we're 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 aiming to achieve. Wow, that's that's really incredible. I mean, there are there are so many things to unpack from what you just said. Um, you're you're doing so many things, right? Because you're you're taking science and you're making it interesting and you're making it engaging and you're making it accessible to people from many many different countries and you're making it accessible to children. And just, I think, as you said, science 
shapes the world we are in today. The, the only reason that we can have this conversation right now over the internet is because scientists worked to get us here with our, our fancy laptops and, and Zoom technology. And um, I, I have so much respect for scientists for that reason. And I think it's really amazing that you are creating so many different channels and resources to get people from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of countries, all different kinds of ages and genders a lot more excited about science and and then you're you're basically taking that you're drumming up the incitement for science you're creating more access around that topic and then then you go and do your enterprise tech stuff and then you're saying okay well how can we take this excitement about science and turn these talents into something in the real world so i i love i'm i'm starting to see i love how everything really ties together and i love what you mentioned about mentorship and the power of having a mentor but also being a mentor i'm a huge believer in mentorship i really believe that someone who is your mentor can save just cut cut your learning curve literally decades of your life in in just one conversation with the right person and also just that fulfilling feeling of giving back and mentoring other people and helping other people through the struggles that you've undergone and like saying, Hey, you don't need to go through these struggles. I can, I can help you out. And it's just a really beautiful thing. And before I ask you my final question, Vina, I know you talk about leadership as well. And I think this does tie in a little bit to mentorship and this, the things that you've been talking about. In your opinion, what makes a great leader? It's another tough question. I think a leader at the heart of the matter, the leader is someone who truly serves. And he, you know, a, a leader is someone who is able to rally um, people around her or him because they represent something that people root for, right? So a leader can never be someone who works in isolation because if you, if you work in isolation, you're really insensitive to people's needs. And then, you know, it's really hard to root for someone who doesn't feel what you're going through or what you want to achieve. Or um, so we root for the people when we believe in their values and their mission. So to be a good leader, you really to be, you really need to be number one, aware of what your values are and Number two, communicate them properly, right? So who are you? So you really need someone with a great sense of awareness. And it's not easy. It isn't. A sense of awareness doesn't come to everyone naturally. And this, when we talk about emotional intelligence, it's really about no, deep knowledge about who you are, what your shortcomings are, what is really doesn't work great for you what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses and then you will be able to harness that strength to push for a cause with a mission or a mission and then when you know your weaknesses you'll be able to ask the right questions and to get the right people um to join you on this mission, right? Because a leader also is, is, is a myth that a leader knows everything and is able to do everything on her own or his own. But this is not true. A leader is just someone who knows their strengths and weaknesses and where they are failing or they're unable to do something, 
they have the courage and the honesty and the self-awareness to ask for help and to ask for people to join them to be able to achieve together. So there's a sense of team, a sense of servitude and mission around all of this. Um, and also, I don't feel like a leader is so, it's not like have a, an outfit, an outfit you put on. A leader is, the best leaders are those who aren't even aware that they are leaders, you know, who, who people start root for and, and cheer for without them even, you know, um, seeking it or, you know, they're just people who, who believe in something, they express it correctly and, you know, it's 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 a magical it's a magical thing it's a magical thing and um, mm. a, a leader has so many different aspects to them, but they definitely have to have the self awareness. They need to communicate and they need to listen and understand what people need so that they can lead these people. I hope yeah, that answer, answered you, but it's it's not easy to answer this question, and I certainly appreciate you asking because I ask yourself. I ask myself also, what makes a good leader? And it's also always something good to think about and reflect on. Definitely. Yeah. It, like you, you get to the interesting thing when you ask the difficult questions, right? You think, okay, well, <laughs> there's, there's this aspect and there's that aspect. I asked someone else the same question. They'll probably have a different answer, but I think you, I think you did a great job. And I think there are some really powerful takeaways in what you said in terms of, uh, a great leader, one is is aware of their strengths and can harness those, but is also able to admit that, okay, I'm not perfect. I need help. They're able to show their vulnerability. They're able to mm -hmm. admit when they were wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you were saying, with that kind of servant leadership element, they realize that it's not about, it's not about if I'm the leader, it's not about me. It's about, it's about the people that I'm serving. Exactly. It's about the greater cause and the greater mission that I'm serving. I think just that that really powerful, that one mindset shift is yeah. is really, really powerful. So uh yeah, really interesting, Gina. Um I just want to say thank you so much. I have I have one more question, the final question I ask all of my guests and come up with so many different interesting answers. So what are three key truths about the entrepreneurial journey that you would share with a young entrepreneur today? <laughs> uh, entrepreneurship is not um, this sexy cool thing that you know you, you think about if, if you're not an entrepreneur it's a, a baptism by fire it is something that really really tests your resilience to the maximum this is one yeah uh, mm. number two is that uh, entrepreneurship for me is has lots of it requires lots of passion so you really need to be clear about why you're doing this because this is the only way to survive all the um the, the, the struggles and the uncertainty you will be feeling and sometimes the loneliness because especially if you're starting you might be the only founder. You're lucky if you have co-founders and a team around you, but many times you find yourself doing everything 
and it tests you to the maximum, it tests your passion. And sometimes you're, you know, raising funds. And if things go rough, you know, it's very easy to give up. But you really need to have your heart in it so that you don't and you persist, but also have the courage to pivot if you must and listen to those who give you advice and who mentors you. Um, I think, yeah, I had a third one. I forgot what it was when I was speaking. <laughs> I thought I had three. Um, what would, so, you know, I think those are... These are great. Are <laughs> they will probably come back to you as soon as we finish this interview. Cool. Cool. How about that? Um, Hey, no problem. Those are those are two really powerful takeaways, and I think it's 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 great that you bring that up, right? Because I think young people see, oh, entrepreneur, that's mm. that's so cool. I want to be an entrepreneur, mm. and it's it's made out to be this sexy, glamorous thing when really it isn't. It's it's a lot of hard work. It's it's more difficult than not being an entrepreneur. Not everyone is supposed to be an entrepreneur, and it's it's very humbling. It's a very humbling experience. So, um, so yes, Mina, if I might add something, entrepreneurship is, is a mindset. Yeah. It's about solving problems, maybe in an unconventional way or uh, spotting a need where and wanting to do something about it and solving a problem. And so you can be an entrepreneur, even if you don't ha start your own company. Maybe you're working within a company and you start innovating. Maybe you're a professional within a big corporate, right? So it's more about a mindset, about being innovative and creative, uh, rather than the traditional way we think about an entrepreneur. Of course, it's about starting a company as well, but it's most about, to me, it's, it's a mindset. It's a problem-solving mindset with, with an innovative twist, let's say. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think uh, people who take initiative within companies, within entrepreneurship, uh, really manage to achieve amazing things and actually just create create completely amazing things that bring the company to a next level or lead to spin-off initiatives or lead to a whole new kind of company. So really incredible. I completely agree with that. It is most definitely a mindset. So yeah, with that said, thank you so much. Um, I know you've talked quite a bit about your work. Is there anything in particular that you'd like to plug and where can people find you? Yes, thank you. Um, first, I'd like to thank you, Yasmina, for the very, very um, um, interesting and engaging conversation. Second, I'd like to invite your listeners who are interested in learning about entrepreneurship and uh, trying their hand at entrepreneurship, especially if they're scientists and they, they want they don't, even if they don't have, or especially if they don't have their own ideas yet, they want to see how it works with working on a real world project. Uh, check out Enterprise Tech. Applications will be uh, open. You know, ac actually, they, they are open so you can get on the website and apply for our September cohort. So the program will start in September for three months. Um, for those of you who are interested in She Speaks Science, please do get on the website, shespeakscience.com, um, and be involved there. There are many different ways to become involved. You could be a storyteller, you could be a translator, you could do um, very amazing things with us. And we'd love to feature your work, and we'd love to have you um, with us on the team. 
if you want to know more about me and reach out to me and if I can help in any way, you can find me on my personal website, rena.co.uk. This is G-H-I-N-A.co.uk. And, um, you know, for enterprise tech, you could just go on the Cambridge Dutch Business School uh, website and you'd easily find uh, entrepreneurship and enterprise tech on there. So, um, yeah, thank you, Yasmina. That was all from me. And I hope your listeners got something they found interesting out of it or, you know, um, enjoyed our conversation as well. I'm sure they did. I certainly did. Thank you so much, Lena. It was an absolute blast. Thank you.